is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Though the earth be removed, though mountains shake, and waters Hi, today we're in Acts chapter 20, and today we're going to continue to take a look at the missionary journey of Paul. Remember here that Luke is writing these things down because he's one of the travelers with Paul during his ministries in this time. So these are records that he's taken down of things he's heard and of things that he's seen firsthand on these missionary journeys. And in this chapter, Paul is um, traveling around to many of the different cities with the eventual goal of making it to Jerusalem in time for the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem. He has a desire to go there to share his experiences and his testimony and the gospel with some of the people he knew there long ago from his very religious days in Jerusalem, those days before he met Jesus as his Savior. You know, Paul really had a moment of great conversion, if we recall, where he fell to the ground and Jesus spoke to him, and he said, why do you persecute me? And he goes, who are you? And Jesus introduced himself to Paul. Back then it was Saul, and completely transformed his life from someone who was a religious zealot, fighting against the church, to someone who really loved Jesus and gave his life and dedicated his life to serving him. And this chapter talks a lot about the dedication that Paul had in serving Jesus because his ministry is taking him all over the place, from city to city, town to town, country to country. And he's willingly giving up his life to go and to share the gospel with all of the Jews and Gentiles and who will ever listen to him. And in a lot of those cases, you know, he's being persecuted. Sometimes he's being tortured or beaten or imprisoned for the work that he's doing for Christ. In this case, in chapter 20, there was a plot against him. And they were going to kill him, get rid of him once and for all. And that was by the Jews, right? The people who are supposed to be followers of God in that time, they wanted to kill him. So he he went on his journey through Macedonia. Let's see, Sopater, the Berean, the son of Purus accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius of Derbe and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychius and Trophimus. And just these guys who are traveling with him show of the, the various places that he'd been and where his ministry had taken effect. And he was bringing these men along with him, training them and teaching them the way to go. And he went into Philippi. <clears throat> and when he was there, he was preaching. And he was talking into late into the night, it says. And it was getting near midnight. And there was the lamps in the upper room. And they were all gathered together. And there was a young man. His name was Eutychus, and he was sitting at the window, and he sank into a deep sleep. And Paul talked longer and longer, okay? And I mean, these guys are probably all hard workers as well. They put in a full day's work, and then they went to hear him preach, and it's going well into the early hours of the morning. And naturally, he fell asleep, and he fell down dead. And Paul went down, bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. Now, it doesn't say that Paul raised him from the dead. It just says, don't be alarmed. But there's the, you know, uh, inference that it was a miracle that took place, that, that he was raised from the dead. 
And then they broke bread and they ate and they conversed still for a long time all the way until sunrise. And then he departed. And they took the youth away alive and they were not a little comforted that, the, that Eutychus had survived his fall. You know, a lot of times when we're first learning about the, the things that God does, the new life that he has for us and what life in the spirit is, we're so excited. We want to know more and more and have more and more experiences with God that we're willing to sit up <laughs> all night long. We're willing to pass through the night. Reminds me of a story I heard a long time ago. A friend of mine who was a Christian, when I was a young Christian, he was already a mature Christian. And he was a twin brother. And he was telling me that he had converted to Christianity and that he would go to work all day long. And then at night he would go to the Bible study and they would pray all night long. And he would go home, sleep for an hour or two and get up and he would go back to work. And he would do this like night after night. And his twin brother said, how in the world do you do that? How can you stay out all night at these silly meetings and then still make it to work and, and, and have the energy and the strength to get through the day? And he just laughed and, you know, he said, it's Jesus in me. I, I, would, I wouldn't trade these experiences for anything. He was so excited to serve Christ. And that's why these guys, they stayed up all night to hear, even to the point of falling asleep out of a third story of a building. So Paul left there, and he, and he sailed on. He, went, to Eph he went, went past Ephesus. Now remember, he spent a lot of time in Ephesus, the church. He started the church there. It has a deep attachment to him, you know. But he's really saying goodbye to everybody as he's going through these places. Because he's been warned that when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be persecuted and imprisoned for his faith. He doesn't know if that means he'll be killed or not yet at this point. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. But he's willing to go and face persecution, face imprisonment, and impossible death, all to, to go and to share the gospel back in Jerusalem with those who he knew before. So he's going to go past Ephesus. And again, it doesn't say. It only says that he's in a hurry to be at Jerusalem. But, you know, he was on his last night in the last city, and he was up all night, and they bid him goodbye early in the morning. He was talking pouring out his heart, probably giving so much last-minute instructions and things to help them. So, you know, he, he realized it could be the last time he saw them. Probably he didn't want to repeat the same thing in Ephesus. The emotion of seeing all those that he loved so much and not having time to tell them everything that he wanted to say. And then the pain of separation and having to leave them behind as he went on to Jerusalem. And even here, he says that even though he didn't stop it in, in Ephesus, he called for the elders to come and meet him where he was. And he was in a place called Miletus. So the elders of the church came, and when they came, he said to them, You know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I came here. I served the Lord with humility, with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So Paul is really telling us what ministry is about here. Ministry is about giving of yourself, serving the Lord with humility. And that with tears, you suffer and you, you bear the burdens and the trials right along with those who are in your flocks. He also bared the burden of the Jews who several times tried to kill him. 
that he didn't shrink from declaring anything to them. He says that he gave them everything, the whole counsel of God he gave to them. Do you know what that means? That means not only saying really good, positive things to the church, but saying difficult things and corrective things and doing things that really might be against the nature of a Christian, you know, telling somebody something ugly about their life that God wants to change and transform and correct. He told them everything. He told them to repent and to have faith. And he, knew, he says to them, now I'm going by the Spirit, and I am not knowing what's going to happen there, except that he, the Holy Spirit, testifies of me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So he kind of knows what's coming. Here's another point in verse 24 about ministry. I don't count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So he also says that many of you are going to go and preach and you're not going to see my face again. He says, I'm innocent of everything because I said everything to you that God wanted me to. And then he gives some more direction about what it means to be in ministry. Pay careful attention to yourselves. That means watch your own life. Behave appropriately. Act according to what God tells you. And don't overstep your bounds. And especially to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. So we're to overlook the flock on behalf of God. With the assistance of the Holy Spirit, he gives us a ministry to look for the sheep. It says to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We know Jesus because he died for us and he shed his blood for us. He gave us that great sacrifice of love. And then those whom he paid that price for, who accepted his salvation, he turned their care over to certain ministers. And that's why he's talking to them about how important it is to behave appropriately and to care for that church for whom Jesus paid such a high price for. That's how seriously we need to take our ministry. And he said also that after the departure, after he left there, fierce wolves would come in among you and they wouldn't spare the flock. And from among your own selves, a men will rise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is really shocking. First of all, it's not so shocking that, that these fierce will, wolves are people who come in to try to take prey, you know, to take advantage of the innocent sheep of the church, telling them false things and trying to get them to leave the, leave the church. These wolves are raised up by the enemy who's coming in and he wants to destroy the church of God. So it's not surprising when we see hard things happen in a church. It's because the enemy doesn't want any good thing to take place. He wants to tear down and he wants to destroy. He wants to confuse the flock and bring them away so that they don't want to serve Jesus anymore. That's his goal. And he's telling the ministry, you watch out for those wolves who are coming in because they're coming. And also, there's going to be some among yourselves who will rise and speak wrong things. So you see, if there's one person who leads everything and he speaks something wrong, it's hard to tell from, as a sheep, from a sheep's perspective, is he telling us the truth or not? But when there's a body of ministry 
that works together, the ministry can watch out for the flock together. They can watch out for what's spoken and what's shared among the other ministers. And they can make sure that the flock is taken care of and these wolves don't have any part there. So he says, three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. See, the price of ministry is night and day in prayer, in, cor- in correcting the flock, in guiding them, in encouraging them. Everything, paying a price night and day and with tears because you really feel the suffering and the pain that the church goes through. So he says, I commend, I commend you to God and to this grace, to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I never coveted one's silver or gold or apparel. Very important. Ministry cannot be materialistic. It's not a job. It's a ministry. I have a job. I do work five days a week, 40 hours plus a week. And I have a ministry. Those are different things. Ministry doesn't fill my pockets. Ministry doesn't pay me. My job pays me. I'm perfectly capable of working. So, he says, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the heart of ministry. It's not to receive, it's to give, to give everything you have for the life of the church, for the flock, for the sheep, with whom the Holy Spirit has entrusted your hands. Then it said there was a lot of crying. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine. They embraced him, they kissed him, and they were all full of sorrow because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And the chapter ends there. And you know, I I often think how we miss people. And Paul would have been particularly missed because he was the one responsible for bringing that great message of salvation to them, for teaching them. He paid such a price and had so much love and gave himself for them. He was such a shining example of whom Jesus was, of self-sacrifice, that they naturally loved him for the price that he paid and for the love that he showed to them. That's why we love Jesus, because we paid, he paid the greatest price for us. And we need to reflect that love of Jesus toward the flock by paying a price for them, by giving ourselves to, to help take care of the flock that God has given to us. That's ministry. It's more blessed to give to them than it is to receive from them and our strength and ever present help in trouble though the earth be removed though mountains shake and waters roar though mountains shake